0: Landline radio, landline radio, energy, no
1: filter. Oh yeah!
0: Hey, back in the studio with uh, brigham McConnell. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: P- pretty good. President of Alieska Pipeline Services Company.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: We've been trying to set this up for a while, kind of going back and forth. I know you're a busy guy.
1: Well, we have. We've uh, we've gone back and forth, but I'm I'm glad to uh, be in here in studio with you in this COVID part five world. That I we're mean, it's,
0: it's, I just got back from Florida and I wrote in my Sunday column how different it is. I mean, Florida's yeah. kind of, and you're actually, I was reading your biography and you, you taught at Miami and you spent time in Miami. So I was in Miami for a couple of days weekend and then i went to fort lauderdale oh,
1: right yeah this is the other miami this is miami of Ohio. oh
0: okay so i saw ohio and then i saw miami so i wasn't sure if yeah. it was florida
1: yeah miami of Ohio. the, the real miami 1809 miami of ohio the that's original miami the original uh florida still belonged to spain but um but yeah they get uh, more notoriety than we do but we have big, big big ben roethlisberger so i don't know if that's a Plus, or,
0: Speaking uh, of quarterbacks, McCown, that's the yeah. quarterback, right?
1: It is. Uh, Josh and Luke uh, had uh, some history with a bunch of different teams, and uh, they're both retired now.
0: Any uh, relation there? Uh,
1: we are distantly related, uh, but uh, they're taller and uh, far more athletic than I am.
0: This isn't like a Peyton Eli, you're the dad, you're no, the quarterback. man,
1: I wish. Uh, no, uh, they have huge paws, too. I don't
0: I mean, know if you watch these roasts. I was on the airplane flying back, and I – out of my phone, um, my Apple, the roast of, um, oh, who was it? Uh, uh, Rob um, Lowe, mm. and and Peyton Manning was one of the roasters. Okay, you seen that? No, I've not oh, seen should, that. It's he is he is really yeah. funny.
1: Well, I just found it the other day that there's a there's a third brother, Cooper Manning. I didn't know that. Oh
0: yeah, younger. Yeah, uh, yeah, even younger. Yeah. yeah. So you you have a I mean I was I interview a lot of folks and <laughs> I read their bios. You have a fascinating. I didn't know much about you. I know you're kind of new. You started Aliesca Actually, interesting time, January twenty twenty.
1: Right? Who so, would have thought? Right. So you had no mm-hmm.
0: idea what you were getting into. Yeah.
1: Well, from a COVID perspective, a COVID, certainly not. Yeah, absolutely. Per- but uh, no, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Uh, I've had a bit of a portfolio career. I guess that's uh,
0: you, you're one of those people, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I'm reading it. And I'm like, how is that possible mm. to do it? Because you have the JD, you have the the MBA, um, you were a naval aviator, you worked in you know two transition teams. Um, presidential transition teams. I mean, you have the big, so I want to talk a little bit about that, but I mean, you're from actually Ohio, right?
1: I am. I'm from uh, rural Southeastern Ohio. We call it Appalachia where we come from. And um, you know, it's uh, a lot of similarities to Alaska, small town. uh, Everybody knows everybody. uh, uh, Long memories.
0: This is the, the hillbilly elegy, you know, the book and the movie, J.D. Vance that was a bit, um, you know, controversial. Some people, Kind of when that came out, they said, oh, well, you know, as long as, you know, the kind of the maybe the more woke people, well, you know, if you're white, you can't have problems. Mm. But but a lot of those places are having big problems, right? The poverty and, and kind of the, the Rust Belt issue and, and the industry leaving.
1: Yeah, it's been very tough. Uh, you know, it was a wonderful place to grow up, but it's one in which uh, economic prosperity left it behind. Globalization certainly left it behind. And, um, you know, while people were moving to the South and having new jobs, um, you know the heavy industry, the coal, the chemical, mm-hmm. uh, the coke and steel plants were all moving out. A tough time, and, and honestly, that area still has not recovered. And uh, you know, my biggest takeaway from that is um, you've uh, you've got to take care of today, but you have to have a long term outlook. You got to have a plan.
0: So you grew up. When, when did you go to college, or when did you get out of high school?
1: Yeah, I got out of high school in 84, then uh, went to Miami of Ohio, actually. Uh, That's when I was born yeah. in 84. <laughs> was it? Yeah, really? Yeah, it was a good year. Uh, and uh, That's
0: Reagan, the second time, right? The- it was. Uh, you know,
1: I was not a Reagan fan at the time. Uh, you know, being a, a younger kid and growing up in a Democratic household, uh, you know, we thought Reagan was too old and uh, uh, too conservative and was going to get us in a war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things have changed, right?
0: I mean, looking back now, Reagan seems... Like a mod because he was working with Tip O'Neill, and I mean, there was a lot of yeah. relationships there, and
1: <clears throat> yeah, you know, and I, I think that's something that's underestimated in DC. And having spent some time there myself, relationships matter, yeah, to this day. It, DC is still a small town, and uh, your word matters. And uh, a lot of people come and go out of DC, but if you're going to be there long term and to be successful, you've got to figure out how to work with both parties.
0: I mean, it's kind of wild, Reagan in '84. Um, if I memory serves, correct, one every state except Minnesota.
1: Yeah, it was an electoral landslide, but I I, I think the actual uh, vote count was a little bit tighter. But, you know, the one thing that Ronald Reagan did get, and it often gets misquoted in today's, where a lot of people want to embrace the Ronald Reagan flag, but Ronald Reagan was the first one to compromise. And uh, he would say, look, I, uh, I'd rather have half a loaf than no loaf. I can always go back later and try to get more, but I'm not going to... Uh, ride my horse with my flag flying over the cliff. That's crazy. Why would you do that?
0: Well, the big—I think one of the big ones that stands out is in '86, the immigration uh, overhaul they did, which I think today would be considered like death sentence, yeah. you know, for Republican perspective. So I want to talk a little bit about. Um, you were in the Navy. For, my dad was—I read your biography. Your dad, my dad, was in the Navy 25 years. He flew on the S2.
1: Awesome. The air tracker. Crew. Yeah. So yeah. they
0: looked for subs. He was enlisted air crew. Okay. But you had a long your career in the Navy.
1: Well, yeah, I, I did on and off. I did 10 years active duty and, and lived in Florida. I've spent several tours in Florida. But, Pensacola? Uh, started in Pensacola, then went to Texas, and then uh, ultimately to Jacksonville, where I spent uh, about five or six years there and traveled the world. Uh, was at the second half of Desert Storm, uh, uh, down to Haiti, uh, counter-drug operations in Central America and a few other interesting yeah, things. If-
0: I just watched *Clear and Present Danger* on the airplanes. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. And uh, if
1: you watch *The the Hunt for Red October*, uh, you see there's a helicopter that drops a torpedo Mm -hmm. on the uh, Typhoon class. That's that's uh, the helicopter that I flew in the North Atlantic. Yeah, and we did much the same thing chasing around uh, those boomers that uh, your your dad would have. He told me that
0: uh, years he was he got out in '85 after I was born. And, um, you know, at the time they had the nuclear torpedo and they, they never used them obviously, but there was yeah. like sensitive, uh, information kind of top secret and he never talked about it. But I guess one time many, you know, decades later he was like in a museum and all the stuff that was supposed to be kind of top secret was like, up. you know, it was, then it was, by then it was out. Yeah. There's, he's, he's like, oh, I kept this stuff. I didn't tell anybody cause I didn't think you were supposed to, but now it's in the museum. So
1: yeah, there's, there are a lot of things. And I know when, um, um, uh, Tom Clancy came out, uh, with uh, hunt for red October. There was, there was a fair amount of classified information in there at the time. And people were like, wow, how did he get this? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting as you do get older. Now I see aircraft that I flew hanging in a museum and it really just makes <laughs> me feel kind of old, but.
0: So what was your, I didn't really, I didn't read this. Did you go to Undergrad and then ROTC, or like, how, how did you get into the? What, what was your path to going the Navy? Yeah, no,
1: great question. I was on an ROTC scholarship oh, okay. uh, through college, and then um, you know, uh, uh, following graduation, then I went straight off to flight school. Were your
0: parents military, or why, why did you decide to?
1: No, you know, neither one was. Uh, my dad's father was an aviator in World War One, which seemed kind of cool. He wow. talked about really kind of just winging it, you know, where the term comes from. I just
0: went. September. I was in um, Seattle. I went to the big air, air museum, and they had a whole World War One right. wing, and it's just, and they have the World War Two, obviously, and, and you go to Vietnam. But it's like back then, those planes were very basic.
1: They, they were very basic, uh, relatively slow, and a lot of them simply had an on-off switch. There was no throttle control, so you every every landing was a dead stick glider landing. But
0: uh, you know, I fly gliders. I have my private license when I was sixteen. Ah, yeah,
1: that's something I'd always wanted to right. do, and I've never done. It's been in a glider.
0: they in Florida.
1: Oh, a lot of yeah. gliders in Yeah, a lot yeah. of gliders down in Florida. But, uh, no, so it's something I wanted to do. I wanted to get out and I wanted to serve the country. I wanted to see the world and uh, also really wanted to fly. And I managed to package all of that together.
0: Were you like, sounds like a pretty working class home growing up?
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much. Although, you know, my dad, uh, my dad was a lawyer, but uh, was a small town country lawyer, you know, where you would... Uh, uh, you'd have a criminal case one day, you'd have a divorce the next day. You might maybe, maybe, maybe the, maybe the same,
0: maybe the same person. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's true too. In uh, in, a, in our small, uh, also our small world, but, uh, yeah, very humble beginnings. And, uh, you know, dad made sure that, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I had paper routes, uh, I worked in a window factory in the summer on air conditioned, which is pretty hot in, in Ohio, worked as a deckhand on a barge on the Ohio river. And, um, You know, really appreciated uh, an honest day's work.
0: So did you want to be a pilot the whole time? Was that like your path?
1: Yeah, I really did. It's something that I'd always wanted to do. I, you know, used to go to the Air Force Museum, which is at Wright-Patterson and Dayton. Oh, yeah, I've I've been
0: there. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's grown substantially over the years. That uh, that was something that really inspired me, as did uh, uh, NASA and the flight programs. It's, you know, it's always something that I wanted to do.
0: So you, you flew, what what did you, what planes, you flew helicopter, you said, but you flew fixed wing too?
1: Yeah, mostly helicopters, but flew fixed wing as well. Uh, Finished up in the reserve. Let's see, I've flown, you know, five or six different things, but uh, uh, my active flying time mainly was on active duty. And then when I went into the reserves or what we call now the ready reserves, which means I'm a part-time person. uh, A lot of that, uh, unfortunately you outgrow the cockpit and you get into these more advanced jobs and really I wish I could have just flown, but uh,
0: I, I have some, it. I have some friends that are military and, you know, some like retired Lieutenant Colonel. And I'd ask them sometimes, why didn't you, you know, become Colonel? And they said like, I didn't want to go do the yep. BS, you know, go to Afghanistan and do PowerPoints or manage some administrative. So they would keep doing what they're doing. And, they just can't get to that next step because you have to do that to, to advance to the higher ranks, I guess.
1: Yeah, you do. And at the time uh, in the Navy, we were drawing down from the Cold War. So we had fewer aircraft to fly. Most of those went to the active services. But uh, I've spent time in Japan, Korea. Where
0: were you flying? Um, were you flying jets or? Uh
1: Yeah. Um, both uh, some 737s would be a jet. Not, nothing fancy. I'm not like a Top Gun kind of guy. or F-15. Or
0: like the- no.
1: Yeah, nothing like that. That's an Air Force plane.
0: F, F uh, what am I thinking of? F, 4 Tomcat. F-14, F-14. Tomcat. Yeah.
1: You know, I really. Uh, the, the
0: Harrier, that's a, that's a Marine, right? That's a Marine thing. That's a cool one. That's yeah. the vertical takeoff.
1: That's very cool. I always wanted to fly the A-6 Intruder. I don't know if you saw the old movie, Flight of the oh, Intruder.
0: Oh, that's one of my, growing yeah. up, that's one of my dad's mm. favorite movies. I, I, I love that movie. It's a, you watch it now and it's like the, the graphics and effects are so bad. Yeah. But it's a great movie.
1: Yeah, it is a great movie and it's a great book. So if, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, uh, your listeners out there, it's a great book to read Flight of the Intruder. Yeah,
0: and the A six was a bit bomber, but it was also it could you know it was a bit of a kind of a hybrid.
1: Yeah, it was a ground um, attack aircraft. Uh, the nastier the weather, the better. And then there was a an electronics version of the A six called the EA six B Prowler, mm-hmm. and it was used for radar jamming. And one of those missions was to...
0: That's the one where they you, you want them to fire at you. right? Yeah, yeah, you
1: actively fly at a hostile uh, SAM site and get lit up and get missiles shot at you. Yeah, it's crazy, right?
0: That's like in the movie. There's that scene where the guy's like, "Are you fucking crazy? I don't I'm not, I don't want to do that." He's like, yep. "It's fun." yeah 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 Yeah, because then
1: you can find them you you can find them it's uh you know it's a young man's game and uh and that's the other thing as you uh, as you you know age up in the ranks you get into more important staff duty positions but i think ultimately we all just wanted to fly and uh, i really thank the military for giving me that opportunity i mean it's amazing you know i remember uh, basically had a 30 40 million dollar aircraft at the age of 22 and you're turned loose on the world i mean it's it's, it's crazy, hard to yeah. Think. yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's, but you had to earn that responsibility and the average age of uh, a sailor on the flight deck is 18.
0: Mm-hmm. I really wanted to go so I applied to I really wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. That was my kind of what I wanted to do in high school and and then uh, my, I actually was looking at the Naval Academy too and I wanted to be a pilot. But I'm I realized when I was about I don't know 13 or 14 I'm colorblind. Oh. And that's really bad for the Navy. I mean it's bad for yeah. flying in general, but the Navy was pretty much that was mm-hmm. out and then um, I kind of looked at, you know, West point track at the end, but that was, I graduated in 2003 okay. and I, I was kind of like Iraq, I, you know, I yeah. was, I'm more of an air force. So I ended up just moving to Alaska instead, but that was my kind of like thing was air force Academy or Naval Academy. And
1: well, certainly, you know, um, uh, my hats off to anybody that does serve and that uh, you wanted to, obviously it's, uh, uh, it's a great honor. And, and, you know, our freedom is really based upon having an unbroken chain of volunteers, since those mm-hmm. very early beginnings to stand up to defend our freedom and it's really important. You
0: mentioned your grandfather flew in World War 1. My grandfather flew in World War 2 on the B17, 50 missions uh, over Europe from England, got shot down on the 21st mission, had to bail out over Yugoslavia, spent 10 days getting back to the, you know, safety with the help of the partisans and finished his missions. But I mean, I'm thinking I've said this before, but I'm 20, I'm 37 um, in, you know a month But my grandpa back then was 22, 23 years old. And all these people, kids now talk about how tough it is. And I mean, in some ways it is tough, the jobs and the economy. But back then, I mean, even Vietnam era too, 18, 19, 20 year olds were going in these airplanes and dropping bombs. And I mean, it's just such a crazy way to think about how how times have changed, you know?
1: Yeah, well, and if you look at World War II, especially that generation, right, it's known as the greatest generation mm-hmm. because they came back and after facing the ty- type of stuff that they faced in the world, uh, you know, they didn't talk about it back then. We talk about things a lot more than yeah. I think, that age group, but. Well, that's uh, why
0: there was so much, I think Trump, people just didn't, they kind of just were expected to not talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think they internalized a lot of it. And um,
1: They did, but they, uh, they accomplished so much you know, back here. And, uh, you know, when I, I went to, uh, I went to law school uh, at night on the side, uh, while I was still in the Navy and people were freaking out about finals or a test. And I'm like, well, you're not going to die. I mean, nobody's shooting at you. Mm-hmm. Come on guys, this isn't real stress, but it, you know, it's that perspective that I think you get from being in the military. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps you do grow up a little bit, or perhaps you, um, get to a point where you, um, you have a little, Better definition on uh, on what um, what harm really is or what risk really is, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so much as you know, perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you, you mentioned to you get your law degree, and then I, th- I saw you got your MBA. Now, at some yeah. point, you started um, to go. You were in a couple of transition teams. You were actually in the Trump transition, right?
1: Yeah. So I um, you know I practiced law in, in what we call big law or big law firms for a while. Um, you know, where you're you're working. 80 hours hours a week week. and and it was great. And and I'm thankful for the opportunity because I got to learn a lot. But that's how I got into federal law, federal regulatory law, transportation, infrastructure, energy, and then uh, had the opportunity to go work in the Bush administration uh, at the US Department of Transportation, the second Bush. This is the second Bush W and uh, worked in both terms of his administration. Uh, That was the first actual government job. I was the general counsel of the trucking agency. So all the trucks on the road, uh, uh, the uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Have you ever noticed by the way, that everything in DC is like-
0: Huge acronyms. Huge acronyms, yeah. Yeah. You work with any uh, interaction with the Teamsters I bet?
1: You know we did, and uh, Teamsters were actually quite helpful. And uh, I actually have a background of uh, of from my legal days of actually representing some unions. And uh, mm-hmm. with the Teamsters, we were talking about uh, hours of service. How long should a truck driver be able to drive? And you know how to avoid being fatigued on the road. And they were very they were very strong safety supporters. So uh, you know I grew up in a democratic family. I worked for at the DOT. I worked for Norman Mineta, a well known Democrat who was Clinton's secretary of commerce and then Bush's secretary of transportation. Uh, PBS did an hour long special on the man. uh, Norm Mineta. Yeah. Norman Yoshi Mineta, who just turned 90 a couple weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And is really a true civil servant, a uh, a true statesman, somebody well-respected on both sides of the aisle. And uh, he, uh, as a kid, he was actually interned with his uh, family in a Japanese American camp.
0: Like like George Takai. Yeah, you know. yeah,
1: exactly. And, uh, you know, he also served uh, later in the Army, but uh, got the distinction of being the first uh, uh, Asian-American to serve as a cabinet secretary for both. Uh, well, actually, gosh, first Asian-American of a large city, San Jose, first Asian-American elected to Congress, first chairman of a major committee, and the first to be not only a cabinet secretary, but to serve for both, both parties as a cabinet secretary.
0: You, you worked for him? And you were at DOT.
1: Yeah, I worked uh, both for people who worked for him, and then later in my time at DOT, uh, I worked for him directly, and uh, still stay in touch with him. Um, it's um,
0: so you were kind of like in the Beltway work world.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, we were we were actually living in uh, in the DC area, and then uh, from the trucking world, I went to the pipeline world, and uh, it was actually Manetta that put me in charge of uh, the Federal Pipeline Safety Agency.
0: So this is kind of how you ended up. I assume with Alaska, yeah,
1: yeah. There's a few stops in between, but uh, yeah, it was the um, was the nation's top regulator of pipeline safety? How, how
0: many? I mean, I, it's some huge number of pipeline. How many miles of pipeline do we have? Like for, yeah, it's something crazy, isn't it?
1: It is, and it keeps growing. Uh, when I was there, it was two point three million. Now, depending on how you count, it's uh, it's nearly three million miles of pipeline, and that's that's enough to wrap around the Earth more than uh, hundred and ten times. So,
0: so there's all this pipeline, and there's pretty rare something. I mean, things happen sometimes, but pretty rare. But like for example, the Keystone, right. you focus on this one pipeline, and that becomes kind of a harbin or like a, a main focus of, you know, these environmental groups or people that are against it. And you have people that are for it. I mean, what is that become a symbol? I mean, is that is that a big deal when there's adding so much more pipeline when there's millions of. You know, millions of miles of pipe.
1: Right, and that was part of the argument was with that many miles of pipe. Um, you know, can you show me on the map where Keystone is? And the answer is no, because the the map looks like a highway map of the whole country. And and really, that's the point is that uh, pipelines are our largely underground, except for here, mm. uh, energy corridors. They're 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 energy highways. Well, so, some the of
0: some of ours underground. Yeah, that's, that's true. Some of it's buried. Yep. I watched half. a couple documentaries years ago, and it was in, took history of Alaska and. UA when I went to college, and, and then I started reading something about it, and the, the marvel of building that was, I mean, it's just, to this day, it's kind of, I don't even know if we could build something like that today. Yeah, I don't know just if we to could to get it either, even passed, right? and it barely passed. It was one vote, you know, it was Spiro Agnew.
1: Yeah, had to cast the tie vote in 50. the Senate. Well, and most pipelines are not the creation of the federal government either, and it's all wrapped up in ANUA and all the other programs up here. That, ANUA? Uh, uh, the Alaskan uh, Native Utilization Act. Okay. And, uh, so, um, you, you know, you uh, know, can I talk about pipelines in general for a second, sure, and, then, yeah. and then I definitely want to talk about whatever you want to come into Alaska. So, you know, I think pipelines are getting a bad rap because since the 1950s, they've transported the majority of the products that we use, the energy products that we use, and we take them for granted. And uh, uh, when I was uh, at the DOT, uh, we not only had pipelines, but we had all hazardous materials, air, land, rail, sea, and uh, if you look at the safety record, nothing else comes close, not, not by far. And, uh, not only the safest, but they're also the most efficient because everything else requires a round trip. Mm-hmm. So pipelines are like one way streets and, uh, they're very efficient and because they are sort of out of the way from folks, uh, it, it, has transported the lion's share of energy, but why did they suddenly overnight become such a, uh, you know, such a big deal? And, um,
0: you hear that? Yeah. That like, was my computer volume. I, ah, I, like that, I turned that down there. So. Nah, no worries. A little, worries. little interruption. But to,
1: <laughs> but to your point, Keystone, I, I think people who, uh, you know, want to see us transition more quickly from fossil-based fuels realize that they're keeping in the ground campaign, which is really what they were running. I, you may remember this. At first, it's, hey, we, we, uh, we have to get rid of fossil fuels because we're running out of them. Mm-hmm. And then
0: – Well, that was back in the 70s. Peak oil, right? Remember yeah, that was peak oil,
1: right. And then we woke up and went, oh, we're not, we're actually not running. We're not even close to running out of this stuff. So that doesn't work. Uh, I've got to keep it in the ground. Can't afford to bring it out. It'll uh, create too much emissions. Uh, that policy failed. And then along came a couple of pipelines, Keystone, Dakota Access. And, uh, you know, folks got the idea. Wow. If we can cut off the transportation flow then we in essence can stop fossil fuel and so Keystone really had nothing to do with the safety of the pipeline had to do with it being the poster child for the anti-oil movement yeah that's what I meant
0: kind of becomes a symbol yeah. Now, some of the pipe I think even the I've heard the N star some of these are older and they have to be replaced is that, is that an issue I know I think I've even heard the N star one it might be part of it's pretty old and they have to re- you know these smaller gas gas lines.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the age of the uh, NSTAR lineup here, but I do know that we have pipelines that have been operating in the country um, since the late 1800s, uh, especially uh, natural gas distribution lines. That's a fancy term for the stuff that comes to your house, the smaller I, diameter. Uh, <clears throat> in many big cities, that stuff is pretty old. I think, you know,
0: that there will be blood. I'm sure you've seen that with Daniel Day-Lewis. I haven't seen that. Oh, great film. Oh. It's basically about these oil barons and coming mm-hmm. coming of industry of, you know, and, and it's really, you should watch it. It's on Netflix. Okay. I just ah. saw it there, but okay. um, they, they, he's an oil man. And eventually he finds the oil and then it's, it's the whole issue is building a pipeline to yep. get it to the water, to the ocean. And there's an issue where he basically didn't uh, get what his, his land guy didn't deal with one, one person with some land. And there was a pipeline right of way and it, kind of the, the plot of the movie. But I mean, that was, you know, 19...
1: 100 early 1900s 1900 so we, we often credit John D Rockefeller with creating pipelines
0: yeah i think this movie was kind of about him but basically that kind of yeah uh, world and that kind of time yeah, tycoons
1: well and, and that makes perfect sense because Rockefeller was trying to get his oil to market and he had to use uh, trains well yeah, and, and he,
0: there was a, there was the the robber barons
1: yep you had the robber barons vanderbilt and others you had uh Uh, organized labor coming in and they were delaying some things by the way that's why a barrel of oil is 42 gallons not 55 to this day why is that because of the size of transporting it um, it couldn't be wider than that and uh, for the longshoremen or or whoever it was it was doing the loading that became the standard and it's still it's that's still the case
0: Wow. Yeah, A little, a little history. And
1: now somebody else is going to correct me and go, well, that's not exactly, <sighs> but that's, that's the general idea of it. Uh, so, you know, I think, um, I think pipelines have come under scrutiny because we, uh, you know, we're having, we need to have a conversation about what does the future of energy look like? And, and from my perspective, uh, you know, as a policy guy, I think we need a little bit of everything.
0: I mean, I, I, I totally am on board with green and all, you know, finding all, all um, renewables, but, I think it's crazy to think you can just turn the switch off. Yeah. I mean, this has to be a over many decades transition, um, especially, you know, I, I think some people kind of have the opinion that, well, we, we have, we got ours, but people in you know Africa or, or parts of Asia, you know, they, 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 they want to have a job. They want to have a car. They want to, you know, have all these things, but some people want to just not, not let that happen, which is not fair. I think to the people living in those countries who are starting Nigeria, for example, growing China, you know, these countries are growing and, You know, they industry, it takes energy. People want cars. Um, So I think it's good to acknowledge that we need to, over time, you know, we can't be doing fossil fuels forever. But I think some of the folks want to just turn the switch off.
1: Yeah, they do. And I I, I don't think it's necessarily realistic. And I used to run into that sometimes with the classes I would teach. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need oil. I go, really? What are you typing on? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's that glass you're drinking out of? Uh, Have you figured out another way to make asphalt? Uh, how about chemical? How about, you know, even, even if we could go to EVs and, um, you know, I think they're getting better electric cars, right? No, we can't. And, uh, one of the things that pairs very nicely with renewables is natural gas at a power plant. Natural gas is like a lifesaver for solar and wind because, uh, like a J it's literally gas powered power plants. Is it, can I say it that way? Gas powered power plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they literally run off massive turbines, like gigantic airplane engines. You can turn well, them the, off.
0: The Chugach plant we have here, I, I used to be in oh, this yeah, that's right. Chugach bylaws community. I mean, they have four tur- turbines.
1: Yeah, and
0: yeah. the fourth one is powered by the exhaust from the other three. Right. So it's a very so you know I'm I'm a, definitely believing the market. I also think sometimes the market doesn't. You can't just fully trust the market all the time. But 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 generally, I think you know we we the people used to you know have horse carriages. And, and then that one, you know, car, I mean, things change technology happens and, you know, eventually there's going to be mm. such an incentive or such a reason for other technologies or things to come around. And it's not going to be usually the government doing that, you know, it's, it's industry and it's, I mean, the government has a role and they, and they help obviously, and, and you need government. But um, I, I think some people just, this kind of constant worry that some I've talked to people, they think we're all going to be dead in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, living that having that mentality, I think is totally wrong.
1: Well, I think if we turned off everything, we'd be dead in 10 years. So, you know, being a little facetious there, but it's true. I don't know that government, uh, you know, we're the society we're in having government pick winners and losers of industries is not good public policy. Uh, What picks winners are the consumers. If you make something that everyone wants to purchase, they'll do it. But we're artificially manipulating the market by having subsidies for some. And then the people you don't like, you know, you know what we do to them. We just tax them to death, right? absolutely yeah. and so that is the government weighing in on a free market economy and, and i firmly believe that uh, as technology develops more and more people will adopt it
0: I, mean, I think regulation is is a good thing i mean you know we you don't want people dumping waste into the rivers and we don't want people bury. you know there, there should be some level of of regulation that's fair and, and 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 across the board you know yep and it's um it's interesting what's how things are going to look in the next so you see like, like these new york and california are, Adopting these, you know, they want to be totally off, you know, f- fossil fuels by 2035 or 2040. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong on the dates, but this is happening. You know, this is becoming a thing. So
1: Yeah, and it's been very difficult. And one of the things that PG&E, especially in the northern part of California, has experienced is they've embraced uh, sort of these regulations. Uh, they have an unstable grid. They haven't been able to put money back into their infrastructure, into their power lines. We see how that's manifested itself. This is the
0: brownouts or, you know, even the bla- yeah. the, bla- the rolling, you know, I guess, rolling brownouts.
1: And we've had the rolling brownouts, and we've had actual fires starting. Some of the major fires in Northern California were started by down power lines because they didn't have the money to reinvest in the towers because they were paying so much to try to go renewable. And uh, I'm certainly not opposed to renewable, but it's got to be affordable. It has to be uh, efficient, and it has to be presented at an economic price point that uh, you know doesn't make us choose before, between, I don't know, am I going to pay my credit or am I going to pay my electric bill
0: this yeah. month? Yeah. So um, getting back to, you mentioned the infrastructure and there's this new bill. Um, they passed, you know, $1 trillion dollar, $1. 1.2 trillion. Um, you hear a lot about the infrastructure in this economy or this country being kind of run down, old. I mean, how true is that? I mean, how bad is our infrastructure when it comes to bridges and roads? And, um, and, and, and you know, what is what do you think this bill is going to do for? Yeah.
1: Well, it's clear that we've needed to spend some money on infrastructure. But, uh, and while we, Most Americans agree on that. Where we disagree is how's that money going to be spent. Uh, Some people want to put it back in traditional roads and bridges. A lot of this money doesn't go for that at all. I mean, if if, uh, next time you're uh, filling up gas at the pump, think about the fact that part of the federal gas tax that you're paying at the pump is uh, going to subsidize mass transit in New York and Atlanta and Chicago. How does that, you know? You know, I, I just know how read that this. Would sit. I
0: don't know if you've read this book 1 billion Americans. I have not. Uh, it's The Case for Thinking Bigger by this guy Matthew Iglesias. Yeah. And and he talks a lot about I me mean, his kind of uh idea or uh, hypothesis is he wants he thinks the US should be a billion people uh to compete with China and and there's a lot of reasons for that but and he says look if we had a billion people we'd still have a less, lesser d- density than England and France and Germany. Mm-hmm. But um he talks a lot about housing and, and how but that's a big problem, housing policy and you know how, how that's an issue with the cost of living, but he goes into this mass transit thing, and I, did, I I have to like refresh the numbers, but it's like a mile of track in the United States is something like it's like a hundred it's like a hundred times more than what it costs in Europe. It's, it's it was I couldn't even believe the numbers. I mean, it was wild how expensive it is for us to do stuff that they're doing in Europe for for far cheaper. And I don't know what the reason for that is, and maybe it's regulation, maybe it's all kinds of issues, but.
1: Oh man, there's all sorts of stuff to unpack in there. But uh, y- y- you know, part of it is property rights, part of it is the regulatory requirements, having to do the environmental reviews, mm-hmm. the litigation. It takes us forever. We could not build the Hoover Dam today. It'd be impossible. Yeah, I'm not even sure we could build the pipeline today because of all of the red tape. And the frustrating part about government, you're, you're right. Uh, we need to have laws and regulations. I was a, regulator, a safety regulator of pipelines, you know, for many years. Uh, you need to have that. You need to have the level playing field and uh, the expectations of everybody. But we have gotten so far away from well-intentioned ideas that everything is so expensive. But to your point on the infrastructure bill, uh, I think we need it. We have bridges that are very old. We have... Um, airports, uh, dams in particular, roadways, all sorts of infrastructure that's old. But a lot of the money gets diverted into pet projects. A lot of the money gets divided to, uh, you know, to bike paths and other places. And, and frankly, um, states that are less populated tend to get a better deal than states that are more populated. Like, like Alaska. Like Alaska. Yeah, I, I, You know, we get more money than we put in. So, you know, from our perspective, it's probably a good deal.
0: Yeah. It's just, you know, I've, I've been all over the world. I've been to Europe and I've been to Asia and I've been, you know, and um, you know, Australia, you know, they just have these really, it's so easy to do kind of trick every, everywhere. It transit such right. a simple thing. You get on, you, it's, it's just, it's simple. And here, I mean, some cities does better, do, does better, but, other places, it's basically impossible to, to get around using public transit, mass transit.
1: Well, one of the things we looked at uh, at DOT on the Amtrak side, Amtrak's something that everybody loves or hates one way or the other, but the Northeast Corridor and one other run out of Chicago are the only two parts of Amtrak that actually make money. The taxpayers subsidize Amtrak every year, yeah. and uh, we determined at one point we could have just bought everybody a car who had ever ridden on Amtrak in the last 10 years, and it would have been cheaper. Wow! Because of the distance and because of the lack of density, I think in highly dense, more populated areas, mass transit works pretty well. Wasn't
0: there something in this book, he talks about this uh, 1 billion Americans. They were trying to do some some, some high-speed thing in California. And I mean, it only a few miles ever got, compl- I mean, it was just yes. like way behind and they couldn't, you know, the idea is great. You know, you get on the train and you, you hop down and, you know, it takes a couple hours to get somewhere. But it just can't get, it can't get done. Hundreds of millions of dollars are getting spent, and it's not even being completed.
1: That, that's true. The Obama administration put a lot of money into it, and um, there were a couple ideas for an I-5-type quarter high-speed rail, and then a second high-speed rail from L.A. out to Vegas, and uh, it just didn't come to fruition. And that's one of the things the Trump administration killed, is not being economically viable. Mm-hmm.
0: I just, you know, I, like Japan and, and Germany and Australia, and I've been to these, I mean, it's just... They've figured it out somehow. They, they've figured, figured out a way to have really good public transit.
1: Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons why it works so well, and, and I've ridden on the bullet trains in Japan, and, and, you know, as you know, they are they are on time to the second. Oh, yeah. That it's, people line up because the doors open at exactly the right spot. But uh, – a, they were put in a long time ago before a lot of development occurred. And in these a lot of these other countries, you don't have the same property rights. The government just takes your land and says, sorry, it's for the greater good. And, you know, now move.
0: Sorry, Yeah, sorry. but <laughs> moving, um, moving on.
1: Yeah, but it is, it is good. And, uh, you know, we've traveled uh, all over Europe and it's pretty fantastic. Uh, there is a cost to it, though. So that's something, you know, we have to figure out. You know what we want, and uh, how can we leverage these large-scale projects but make them less money? And you know, kind of turning to uh, uh, taps for a second. Uh, you know, that's a that was a very expensive project.
0: I think it was supposed to be, if I'm correct, a billion, and it went about ten billion. Is that right?
1: Right, and that's in '70s dollars, so you can translate that into 2020. I mean, in any
0: case, it, ten times over, you know, cost. I I've heard stories about you know they needed a piece of some equipment and they'd fly it up from. On a, on a plane, some one piece of equipment from Texas, just because they were trying so hard to get, you know, com- completed.
1: Yeah, it, it really is an engineering marvel. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about it is I first saw the pipeline shortly after it was commissioned. My dad brought me up to Alaska in 78. Uh, he wanted to go dip his foot in the Arctic Ocean. So, oh, so we, you
0: were still a kid.
1: Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was a kid. And the pipeline uh, was brand new. We saw it there at the Fox uh, station pull out in Fairbanks. It was all shiny back then, all that, uh, all that aluminum hadn't been exposed to
0: it's still pretty. I've been up there where you're talking about. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: it is. Uh, it, and, uh, that Fox, uh, location is fantastic. And so, but that's the first time I saw it and it's been an imprint on my mind ever since. Um, and, uh, even though we did some other things in the state, uh, we experienced a, um, an earthquake in uh, Fairbanks went to, uh, UAF, uh, went to, uh, Barrow, Utkiavik and, uh, he wanted to stick his toe in the Arctic Ocean. It was, it was wow. Yeah, that was no. Yeah, wonder. we had that.
0: Yeah, today's November. We're recording on the thirtieth. It's three years from the big earthquake in yes, 2018. Which were you here?
1: No, no, was not here. It
0: was fucking crazy. Yeah. I tell you what, I was in getting out of bed. I told the story many times, but I was not wearing any clothes, and I mean, the thing started. I really thought my house was going to come down. It was it was so yeah. insane. The the, the, the the um refrigerator, the stove were pushed to the middle of the kitchen. Stuff was fall. I mean, it was truly a frightening moment yeah.
1: it uh it's 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 amazing you know we uh since I've been here two years I guess uh, was it this summer this summer or last summer we experienced an earthquake here around midnight uh, I think you know, that was moving
0: I think that was this summer was that this summer? I, I yeah I remember that
1: yeah and uh, these decent one yeah, decent one, but not anything like what you're talking about. And uh, I haven't experienced anything like that. You know, the pipelines lived through several of those. and um,
0: It's built, I mean, to kind of withstand all that, it all is. that
1: isn't it? Yeah, it's built uh, right across the Denali fault line. And, um, you know, it has... Uh, uh, during multiple earthquakes has moved and it's uh, designed to withstand an 8.0 earthquake. And uh, there that's was the,
0: a, that's the real big one.
1: That's the real big one. We, uh, we did hit at the Denali fault and I don't Se- think 7.9, was, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, they went out, uh, they went out and measured everything, you know, this, by the way, this pipeline at 48 inches, it's hard for people to, to think about unless you've actually seen it. Uh, it's made out of steel that's over half an inch thick. And so the fact that you've got something that can move or bends, it's kind of hard to, to get your brain mm-hmm. wrapped around. Because if you've ever tried to bend half-inch steel in a lot of places, it's six-tenths or larger. You can't, right? But uh, the pipeline flexes and moves. That's, that's part of uh, how it was constructed. And they went out and measured both the vertical and lateral movement of line after that big earthquake. And you know what? Those engineers who designed this thing in the early 70s without any computers, just a slide rule, They were dead on. Wow. Dead on. Does the
0: heat do anything? I mean, the oil's pretty hot, right?
1: Well, it's hot when it comes out. And it used to be hotter as it moved down the line because of friction, but because we're Pushing less oil through the line today than we did 10, 20 years About ago. About a quarter, right of, of yeah. the '80s. Yeah, yeah. We uh, today. I just looked today. We're look right around five hundred thousand today. So
0: I think it peaked at two million, right?
1: It uh, was designed to go up to two point two million and uh, can still um, can still push uh, one point one three million, and we did that um, just less? a few months ago. Well, a couple of the pump stations were taken offline because there was just no need for it. We didn't have anywhere near that amount of oil. But uh, we could, if we had more oil today, without changing anything, double our throughput. Could
0: could you imagine when you were a kid looking at this pipeline of... Somebody would have said, "One day you'll be the president of the company that runs the pipeline."
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have uh, <laughs> wouldn't have thought that. Uh, but you know that that shininess uh, against the sky is something I never forgot, and uh, it is really, again, it is really cool. And uh, you know, and I used to regulate this pipeline when I was uh, mm-hmm. you know in the federal government. So it's uh, you know it's so important to the state, so important to the country, and. Um, You know, it's a a legacy, I think, that we all take very seriously. So that thought's not lost on me. I'm The 12th president here, we're going to turn 45 next year.
0: So your predecessor, Tom Barrett, was also, he was Coast Guard, right?
1: Coast Guard, also at USDOT, which is how we met. I worked for Tom for a number of years. Oh, really? Yeah. He's kind of
0: pretty known. You know, everybody knows
1: Tom Barrett. He's He's a great American.
0: Got to get a podcast with that guy. Yeah, you should. You should, Tom. He was just doing that homeless thing. I don't know why he was doing that. That's probably a a futile effort, but... Well, As the facilitator between the assembly and the mayor.
1: You know, I'm actually on the Homeless Leadership Commission for oh, the, for the like,
0: city, too. It's like with the assembly and the mayor now, it's like yeah. North and South Korea. It's, well, that's, it's not great.
1: Well, it's, uh, it's difficult. You, and, you uh, saw I
0: went, I spent the night at the Sullivan.
1: I did not, yeah, I did not I wrote an article,
0: yeah. we did a video, actually. Oh. I, we did a whole homeless video in yeah. the summer, and I spent the night there, and uh, I, I called it back in August. I said, this place is not shutting down for a while.
1: You know, it's, it's a tough situation that does not have an easy answer, too. No, it's, yeah. it's, we could do a whole nother podcast on that. Yeah, I didn't know you were on the, uh,
0: the, you're on the, the committee you said or the. Yeah, it's called the
1: HLC. So we're, uh, we're supposed to advise this the city. The, the private
0: um, yes. Rasmussen and the, yes. the Widener. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. On that group. And uh, so there are a lot of people working really hard to try to, you know, figure this out. I think
0: this homeless thing is probably in some ways similar to the Amtrak thing. I mean, they spend so much money and, and my, 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 my view is some of the people are, are just so far gone mentally or, or with drugs. They need help. But, but some of them are actually probably, you know, can get better or can get, can be, be okay. But when you put them all on this one shelter that I spent time at, it's, um, it's just not a winning, winning strategy. So I, I hope, you know, over time they figure out a way to improve it. I mean, there was this talk of the big kind of, um, Trent, what's it called? The, uh, navigation center, you know, yes. the mayor's been, I think that's probably yeah. a, a good idea.
1: Well, the idea behind the Navigation Center is, uh, you're right, there are people who are there for a lot of different reasons. What what really breaks my heart sometimes, too, are there are people that are just down on their luck. They just there need some a little help. Yeah,
0: there are some of that, absolutely.
1: And there are some people that have some issues, but those can be addressed. And the Navigation Center, the idea is you put people in front of the resources that can help them. Uh, ultimately, they have to choose the path, though. They have to choose to go through the program. I, mean,
0: I think about my own life. I moved here when I was 19. My, my dad was in the Navy. Postal worker. Mom was a waitress. Like, I was, I was never poor, but I was never, didn't have any cushion ever really. Right. And when, when I was young and I got into gambling when I moved up here, kind of classic and, you know, you, you know, playing cards and then, and, you know, at some point, you know, when you don't have any money and you, and you want to get into a place and your first month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit. I mean, to, to really get going, if you're in a bad spot, it's, it's thousands of, you know, thousands of, let's say four or $5,000 and to somebody who doesn't have any money, that, that, that amount of money is like just so hard to even imagine.
1: Yeah, it is. And uh, thank goodness we do have a lot of uh, private sector organizations, um, you know, that are they're doing a lot of good mm-hmm. work out there. But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, um, you know, it's something I'm happy to be involved in. Uh, but, uh, you know, getting back to uh, to Tom, Admiral Barrett, uh, you know, I would uh, highly encourage you to bring him on board. I'll, I'll even I'll call him for you. Put for in a word for me. Him. Yeah, put I mean, word been, in, yeah, I mean,
0: uh, I mean, I've heard if, so he's, many if he's listening,
1: yeah, I just, Tom, come on here. It's it's. Water's fine. If he said, Come I mean, he's
0: got to, he's got to say, if you tell him to, suggest it, he's got to, he's got to say yes, right? <clears throat>
1: well, no. I would no, hope I, so. He can do whatever he wants, but <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna highly recommend it's a good uh, and, referral. Yeah, and he's somebody I still keep in contact with uh, as well, and uh, you know, has done so much for the state. But um, yeah, so anyway, it's a fascinating job. Uh, I got here in January twenty. Um, uh, had, uh, you'd mentioned, had done the Trump transition team, had done a couple transition teams actually, did Romney's transition team, which was a wonderful transition. He just forgot to get elected.
0: Did I was going to say, it was all good until the until the election. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, it's crazy
0: uh, now how Romney is, but he was a nominee only, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, 20, 2012, and now he's like, to like a lot of Republicans, you know, the enemy. I mean, it's really wild how things have, and Lisa Murkowski, you know, too as well, same yeah. kind of thing.
1: Well, and, and, and I've got to tell you, you know, uh, Romney, um, um, you know, I think grew up in an era of different type of politicians, a guy who wanted to get along with everybody. And we've seen a lot of divisiveness, like if you cooperate or you somehow compromise, you're suddenly the enemy. And I don't, that just, that doesn't work in D.C. You, you can't get anything I done think it works way. anywhere. No, I Unless mean. if you're
0: an authoritarian, then I'm sure it works fine if you're dictator, but
1: no, it doesn't. And obviously uh, Trump, very different uh, candidate than Romney, but um, you know, I I will say this too. uh, um, Senator Murkowski, Lisa Murkowski is fantastic. She's been a fantastic friend of the pipeline and of the state and of oil and gas. And I have every interaction uh, I've ever had with her. Uh, She wants to know how she can help. And uh, I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, she's obviously a, a brilliant, uh, you know she cares about Alaska. If you ever talked to her, absolutely. Or, but you know, to win that write-in thing was um, almost unprecedented. I think it happened one time before in the fifties. Uh, Strom, Strom Thurmond, I think. Strom
1: Thurmond did it, and Thurmond's easier to spell than Murkowski. Correct. Because yeah. you had to get it right. I right was up to, here, and it
0: was like they had the the band, the uh, wristbands, yeah. and the well, the song "MUR." You know, it, yes. It was, it was a whole thing.
1: So she does well. And, uh, you know, Senator Sullivan also is a, is a strong supporter of Alaska and of the pipeline. And,
0: uh, did you work with, so he was working in the Bush administration too, wasn't he, he was a seat undersecretary? Yeah.
1: Yeah. He was over at state and then, uh, was on the national security council for a while at the white house. Do you guys right? have any
0: interaction then or no? You know, we
1: didn't, we didn't know each other. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, know about him obviously his service also in the marine corps Mm -hmm. he's still serving as a reserve officer and
0: um i think he got pretty i did a podcast with him where talking he got pretty upset when he had he he couldn't be a certain position yeah uh because he was in the senate and i think he was kind of pissed about it he wanted i think he was a commander of a brigade or something and they said hey man you can't (laughs) you can't do that
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you can't because you can't be deployed as a you can't have senators running around uh
0: That'd be a little you know, target, getting, wouldn't it? <laughs> getting
1: targeted or abducted or, uh, but yeah, and, you know, and, uh, you know, he's, he, as you know, he's very adamant about uh, uh, some of the policies and uh, why in the world are we asking OPEC for more oil when we can't, you know, develop the yeah, no, resources talked, we he's have. talked a lot
0: about it and um, I spent a lot of time in, in Russia um, over the years and it's, it's, it's just kind of wild how different the approach is with uh, the Russians and their oil and especially with Europe, I mean, it's a whole different kind of. It is all game over there. And some people kind of attack the Russians or OPEC, like, you know, they're, they're doing what they're doing. I mean, they, they have to, that's, they're doing what's good for them, but we should be doing what's good for us. And
1: absolutely. I don't
0: think we do that all the time.
1: Well, and you know, one thing that uh, got a lot of feathers ruffled at the time was Trump's uh, America first policy. What, Germany's been doing Germany first for a long time. Russia does Russia first. France clearly does France first. Same thing with everybody. This
0: it France is actually fascinating. They're like, it's like 80% nuclear. Right. And a lot of people don't realize that. And right. I think we should. Be, I'm, I'm all pro. I'm like big on nuclear and it's the best, cleanest. You know, I think there's a couple incidents that, you know, Chernobyl and, you know, that obviously a horrible thing. But I mean, generally nuclear power is, is extremely safe and, and very clean.
1: It is. Absolutely. And it's zero emission. Of course, you have the byproduct, but it's a fairly relatively small portion of things. And um uh, you know, there, the technology's changed so much over the years. And, um, well, I, you know, Fairbanks is, uh, looking at putting a small nuclear, well,
0: there's been a couple of presentations at the, in the legislature and some of these committees on these micro yeah, the micro which could go to these small communities, like right. very tiny, and they could basically power the community for, for decades, um, at a very small cost.
1: Yeah. And there is a, uh, there are a couple of us companies. Um, one is, uh, backed by the floor corporation which is an international infrastructure firm that is um, uh, currently in a partnership with several locations to deploy these micro grids including in Romania and um, you know it offers a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities and um, you know uh, uh, Europe is starting to embrace nuclear again after uh, that aversion I mean Germany's had an aversion to nuclear the whole time right and you know, to your point on uh, the politics over there, they're uh, they're embracing renewables and embracing the Paris climate change agreements. But yet, um, uh, you know, if they can't reach their targets, they're like, "Ah, we we tried, but here's another coal power plant." No, we got we got the backup. Yeah, we got the backup. So they're not they're not as ideologically rabid about it. They're very pra- pragmatic. And um, you know, speaking of pragmatic, I, I would get in trouble if I did not mention the dean of the house. Also, I was just
0: I was just going to bring him up because. Uh, he was, you know, there when the thing happened. I mean, he was a big, he was very involved in the pipeline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, we call him the Dean of the House because he's the uh, longest serving member of the House and is well-respected by everybody. In fact, he was my, um, uh, when I was at DOT, he oversaw the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. So he was my chairman. Oh, wow. Uh, and this was uh, this was back in the early 2000s.
0: I've done a few podcasts with him, and man, he's got the yeah. stories. He told me the, the he told me, a couple of years ago, it was before, it was before the 18 election. We we're talking about, um, Nixon and Watergate and he was there right. when this was going on, which is just nuts. to I wasn't even born, but he, he told me, you know, if he would have listened to me, he would have been fine. And I said, what did you say? And he, he says this on the podcast, he goes, I said, Mr. President burn the goddamn tapes. <laughs> and i'm like this guy just said that like on, uh, on the radio. <laughs> this is
1: <laughs> you know he's he's amazing and uh you know in conversations with him uh he is sharp as a tack to this day it's it's yeah.
0: incredible i mean the the kind of precision of storytelling i mean he told me a story about charlie wilson who he was uh, used to yes. be off his name you know his office was next door and and stories just all these stories like very like vivid me- memories and, and mm-hmm. recollections of um, things that happened, you know, decades and decades ago.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. He, he's done wonders for the state of Alaska as well. But, um, yeah, so it's, um, you know, it it's a, um, just kind of thinking, you know, what we're doing now in the state is really amazing because, you know, when the pipeline was built, it was actually built to last 20 years. So I was
0: going to bring that up. I mean, it's been over 40 years. And, and they're saying 40 more. That was a thing a while, you know. Yeah a slogan. Hashtag but, 40 more. Right. But, but it was, it was not meant to, it was meant to last a very short period of time, right?
1: Well, the thought was we were going to run out of oil, but uh, over time we have reinvested and the owner companies have reinvested billions of dollars back into the pipeline. So we've renewed it to, all the pumps are new. All of the stations are new. The valves are new. And uh, you know, like, a, like anything else you build, if you maintain it properly, you can keep rolling. So uh, we did that. We went through a couple of strategic reconfigurations, automation, uh, different aspects, and, you know, we're continuing to do that. It's, it's, uh, these are challenging times, right? Uh, because throughput is down. And uh, quite frankly, I'd like nothing more than for the shackles to be thrown off and allow us to uh, produce more oil out in Alpine. and Well, there's, oil up, there's
0: oil up there, but, you know, some of these decisions, that, that Judge Gleason decision on um, Willow. Yeah, yeah, mind. recently, and then others. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of yeah. oil up there. They've, they've, like you said, they've discovered you know Pica and some of these fields, um, billions of barrels, right?
1: Well, and it's kind of frustrating because Alaska, as part of the deal for coming into the the country, was allowed to pick. Uh, I, I tell you, you should have Ben Stevens. He's an expert at all this, by the way, too. Uh, Alaska was allowed to pick he should, he so should much him, you, should,
0: you should do me a favor. Tell him, too, to do the podcast. He's, okay. He's not a big fan of me, but maybe if you tell him, he'll, he'll well, do I don't, it. Well, I don't know all the history there,
1: so I can't vouch that. I like the guy. I, and, I mean, I like uh, him, too, but uh,
0: we got, had a little altercation a couple of years ago in Juneau. Uh, it was it was pretty good. Actually, it was 2020. I'll, I'll tell you about it offline.
1: All right. Well. Hey, let bygones be bygones. Like, I'm what, happy to do it. Great. I'd love
0: to have him on. He's he's got a great history and a great story.
1: Well, he does, and and, and part of uh, you know part of what I've heard him talk about was when Alaska came in. Part of the deal was that we got to pick certain acreage that we could develop. Yep. And and so, you know, the that's 110 million. Yeah. Acres, right? And uh, as uh, the governor will tell you, uh, same kind of deal. Why are we producing less timber than Rhode Island? I mean, come on, something's wrong here.
0: Well, they shut the timber down in Southeast now. The Sea right. Alaska is out of the timber business now, and it used to be a, a
1: huge business. Yeah, and it, it, it's difficult because, and I grew up in a small town where if somebody came in from outside, you kind of look at them strange, you'd be like, uh, where are you from? Not from here, are you? Well, why on earth do we have all these people in D.C. and Massachusetts telling us what we can and cannot do in Alaska? It's got to be a history,
0: That's the history of the state. I mean, going back to before state, I mean, it's, it's a colony in some ways, you know. The yeah. business before it was business and— the Vanderbilts and, you know, the, 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 um, uh, oh, what's the other family? I'm trying to think of the Kennecott mine. Um, but, but, the, you know, it was business with Seattle, fish, you know, fishing. And then it's always been kind of this colony attitude, whether it's a business or DC. Um,
1: well, that's tough though, because as you're trying to grow and you're trying to get on your feet and you're trying to Carnegie's. ensure Carnegie, the Carnegie's. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to ensure economic prosperity, not only for ourselves, but our future generations. And you're told, no, you can't do that. Well, we want to do that. Now you can't do that. It's like, come on. Uh, it, that's got to be very frustrating. I find it very frustrating. I've only I mean, been there the, a the, couple of years. So. I'm not
0: advocating for this at all, but it almost sometimes seems better if we were just our own our own country. You know, if we were mm. just, we have the resources for it. You know, could you imagine if it was, I mean, that's the Alaska Independence Party's yeah. whole whole platform. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, you should, there's a guy, uh, oh, he got killed. Uh, he got he got disappeared. What was his name? Oh. Uh, he was uh, the founder of that party, kind of a character. I he got, the, he uh, got
1: disappeared. What he like? Uh, literally, he just yeah. It was a sh- uh,
0: what was the name? Oh man, let's go. I'm looking at my phone here. But he uh, he he was gonna testify about about some corruption, and he, he was he advocated for like secession. That was the whole. They're still around the Alaska Independence Party. Really, um, Joe something Joe? I think it's Joe Vogler, and uh, I'm almost positive. No. Anyway, you should read about it. this. Is a Fairbanks situation and. Crazy, crazy times. But that was like his whole thing was like secession.
1: Wow, this is more exciting than the Missioner book on Alaska, probably. Probably,
0: yeah, a little bit. There's a good book about Alaska. Read read, uh, Going to to Extremes. I have. Joe McGinnis. Yes, yeah. So I read that for our book club uh, months back, and that's one of the ones I couldn't put down. Also, another one is Extreme Conditions, John Strohmeyer, Pulitzer Prize. He was up Uh here in the 90s, wrote all about the history of oil in Alaska. You'd love that book.
1: Have it's, you uh, read uh, Willie Hensley's book, uh, no nope. Miles Nowhere"? That's a great. It's book, on my too. list.
0: Okay, I have a lot of Alaska. We have this book club I started a year ago. Me and my, my buddy Katie Capozzi. Maybe you know her. She's, she's I Alaska do know Chamber. Her. Yeah. So wait, this is our this is our twelfth book this month. She's done some great uh,
1: public service ads lately too. Oh yeah she she, yeah, she yeah, she yeah she's I, good.
0: I don't think she, she she didn't like the lighting or something. She was didn't I was joking with her. She didn't.
1: Yeah, no, she's very smart, and uh, you know we have a lot of you know bringing up a good point. We have a lot of wonderful people in the state.
0: Oh yeah, no, the but the, the the other side of that is a lot of people because you know things aren't in my view as promising as they might have been twenty or thirty years ago, and I have a lot of friends that are very smart, that are very productive people. They leave. They're going different mm-hmm. places. I mean, this has been something that's been happening in the last ten years. And well, it's really not you know it's it's not a good thing.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, that's also what I grew up with, right? Uh, people were looking for opportunity. A lot of people left our hometown and and never came back. And you know, you have to make sure that they, we have opportunity here so that people will want to come back.
0: I mean, I have so many friends with kids that are in college, who they, they the kids want to come back or they, they want them to come back, and um, they just say, you know, there's there's not what I there's not the opportunity.
1: Mm. And Sometimes you have to leave home to find it, though.
0: That's true. I mean, I moved here, and I was 19, drove here with my buddy and been here ever since. Yeah. So you mentioned the Trump transition. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, (laughs) How did that, was that your relationships you had before? And then, um, you know, could you have worked for the Trump Trump administration or what was the, was it just a transition role?
1: Yeah. So those were interesting times and I guess because of my background uh, as a known uh, kind of transportation infrastructure expert if you will um I, I often get asked to do these kind of things and you know I had to think about it for a while because honestly Trump was not my my candidate of choice uh early on Are you I'm, a Jeb I'm, Bush guy I'm, Yeah I was a Jeb, I'm a Bush guy right and uh, I was uh a good guy so uh yeah Jeb and um uh, uh Jeb's hysterical, you know he's also the the tallest he's he's he's, huge Oh yeah he yeah. really tall he's he's big guy and uh there's a Mike Myers thing about Sputnik. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but. Uh, SNL or. Yeah, it's kind of. It's. It's. Uh, I'll have to tell you offline, but. uh, okay. He's a big dude and uh, really appreciated uh, the Bushes. But, uh, you know, I also told Jeb early on, hey, man, you know, we. Um, you know, we don't do dynasties in this. Co- we shouldn't do dynasties in this country, right? I mean, I, the whole. Frankly, the, the whole independence is based on that to some extent. And uh, I yeah. think his heart wasn't truly in it ultimately, but. Um, you know, so we went. We uh, we went with Trump and uh, his folks asked for help on the transition because it is really important, no matter what party it is, that there be a good understanding of the lovers of government because literally within, you know, less than nine days you're just thrown in there, and uh, most of the people don't have any government experience, don't know how government works, don't know the the policies. This is not really politics so much as it is running the lovers of government. And
0: um, well, on the more on the more local level, we saw. You know, Ronson got Craig Campbell and Amy Domboski. I mean, you need people that know. I mean, you know the the kind of uh, stereotypical keep the trains running.
1: Yeah, you you do, and uh, and so yeah. So I joined the uh, transition team and uh, worked as a volunteer, uh, you know, quite a bit for that, and then uh, helped uh, Elaine Chao as she became the transportation secretary to get her team set up. That's Mitch
0: McConnell's uh, wife, correct?
1: It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did you
0: ever work with like Michael Flynn or uh, Ro- Roger Stone or any of those guys?
1: So uh, no, no to Stone. I've seen Flynn, uh, uh, but uh, had some interaction with um, uh, uh, some of the old other generals. Uh, um, why am I blanking on the uh, Mattis? Uh, Mad Dog Mattis. Oh, Mad
0: Dog. Matt. He was I. The best thing he ever said. It was an early interview, and it was uh, uh, you know some interview PBS or NBC, and and they said they said uh, you know what keeps you up at night. You know what I'm talking about? I do. And he goes, nothing keeps me up. I keep other people up at night. (laughs) I said, this is my
1: guy. He he was an amazing person. I think, you know, honestly, coming out of the transition, the president had a lot of good people on his team. There were a lot of good folks in that, that kind of first go round. It's
0: going to dwindle the way.
1: Pretty, pretty. And, uh, you know, and it did. And, and honestly, you know, for, for Trump, I think the, uh, a lot of his policies were very sound. A lot of his economic policies, small government in particular, uh, regulatory views, very sound. Uh, I think fundamentally, though, one of the things that got him is not understanding the difference between the institution of government, the presidency, yeah. And being the president, they're not the same thing. And when you're used to running a family company, it's all yours to play with.
0: I mean, I've had a lot of conversations about this with friends and, you know, good friends. Um, some of them very conservative, some of them more, you know, moderate. But to me, I look at it like you're the president, you know, you're a leader. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I agree. The policies, many of them are very good, but, but there has to be, some kind of tone or some kind of way to be, you know, respectful and and, yeah. and just like you feel. And just the whole time, the four years, you just always felt like something was wrong, you yeah,
1: know? Yeah, it's interesting when you, you know, you go and you're like, hey, can, why, can you just why stop tweeting? Why does he have to tweet? Or uh, uh, why does he have to do that? And they said, well, you elected Trump. And now you want him not to be Trump. Yeah, this is who he is at his core is a New York property banking tycoon. Uh You know the leadership style of disruption is throwing the hand grenade in the room, and you know well, that's frankly why that's
0: why he won. I think pe- people in your neck of the woods and Apple those people said, "You know, fuck it, let's just." Things aren't going well, so let's just try something else.
1: Yeah, and that was uh, actually one of the first times that uh, my area uh, voted for, uh, overwhelmingly, for a Republican mm-hmm. presidential candidate. Because, you know, frankly, they've were they been told for generations uh, uh, something that didn't come to fruition. And so... I mean, there,
0: there's like these weird situations in some of these par- parts of Michigan where it's like they went, you know, plus five Democrat to like plus 20 Trump. Right. There's a lot of these counties and... This is a like huge, incredible type of swing. I mean, these things don't happen.
1: They don't. Now, on the downside, uh, people say, well, now nah, he tapped into people's anger and used anger as an emotion. Well, you know, people using emotion in politics is not new, by the way. But, yeah. uh, but you know, when, you, when, it, when it comes down to it uh, – it's it's showing a division in the country. I I, I tend to think it's more of an an urban rural divide more than it is necessarily just a Republican uh, Democrat. Yeah, uh, no, I think uh, that's
0: that's fair. That's right.
1: So it's tough. And uh, but to your point, uh, yeah. So I mean, it was I uh, had opportunities to go in the administration. Both so you
0: were offered a job, or
1: uh, yeah. So the. Uh, uh, Could have stayed at DOT at the assistant secretary level or, uh, or run uh, one of the larger agencies, uh, you know, the car safety agency or different things. And then um, uh, my former boss and mentor, uh, Jeff Rosen, uh, deputy attorney general who became the acting attorney general after
0: Bill Barr quit right or
1: left after uh, Bill Barr left. uh, I was supposed to go over there to be his uh, uh, assistant, his his associate deputy attorney general of the United States. And I didn't want to go. Oh, that's a, that's a big one. Well, that's a that's that's a golden ticket for a lawyer. Um,
0: I was going to say, that after that, you probably could take any job you want in any law firm, right? Well, big law firm.
1: Well, let's see. I'm, I'm just going to tell you some people that had this title. And then I'm going to tell you I didn't do it, obviously. But uh, Bill, uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch. Wow. On the Supreme uh, Court. Uh, yep. Uh, Chris Wray, FBI director. Yep. Uh, this guy named Ted Cruz had it. Uh, this guy, really? Yeah, this guy named Giuliani had it. I don't know if you heard of him or not. Uh, well,
0: so how many? I mean, I mean, it's one. It's a one person has it. It's a one, the titles for one person, or there, they're multiple there, at the same time.
1: Yeah, there are several at the same time, and you split up the portfolio, and then there's one principal. But it, what's interesting about DOJ is. At, at, at the Justice Department, it's the deputy attorney general that actually runs the place, not the attorney general. Mm-hmm. All of the agencies uh, report into the deputy AG. So it's pretty po It's it's a golden ticket. But uh, honestly, you know. Why didn't you do it? Well,
0: you know. it sounds to, like, a, like a, like you said, a golden ticket.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, maybe under normal administration times, uh, it's certainly uh, something uh, uh, to pursue. I just think that uh, the country had become so fractured and yeah. uh, it was difficult at best. And, uh, you know, so I, I you probably made, say, I mean,
0: judging by how things went, you probably <laughs> dodged a bullet there. Well,
1: actually, you know, Jeff said, man, I feel badly. Cause you wouldn't have a job now if you would have come to work for me. But uh, by the way, I think he did a wonderful job on January 6th of uh, kind of playing the middle of the road. And, uh, uh, both parties, uh, it's impossible job that both parties respected him out of, after he came mm-hmm. out of that. If you uh,
0: look up What's, Jeff Rosen, but I
1: just told him, uh, Jeff, uh, I love you, man, but not, not my monkeys, not my circus.
0: Have you met Trump or
1: I've, I've met him before. Yes. And I've,
0: uh, like in the transitional, uh,
1: yeah, role? I actually met him. First time I met him was down in Palm beach, Florida, probably, uh, whenever his golf course, first Mar-a-Lago, opened. no, no, the Trump, um, uh, Trump golf course, um, you, golf, you, golfer? you look like a golfer. Well, I'm not very good at it. But I, but I met him at an event because of that. And uh, so that was the first time I had met him. That was probably, well, when, that, when would that have been? That would have been in the late 90s. But then, yeah, I did see him in D.C. as well. But, um, uh, you know, he wasn't a details person either. He's, he's, a, uh, he he's a, big picture guy, he's isn't he? He's, yeah, he's a, a, a 50,000, 50, yeah. foot yeah. level. Don't, don't bother me with details. <laughs> I don't, you know, you figure that out. But, uh, uh, but I, I have watched him also in conversations that were extremely engaging, intelligent, wise. So I, I don't, I don't know how to, you know, contrast the man from, uh, my limited experience experience with him versus other things that we've all seen. Right. So I don't, I don't know.
0: What's your, what's your take on that? You mentioned the January 6th. I mean, that, that to me was one of the kind of worst things I've ever seen, you know, just watching. And then the, the, I talked to Lisa Murkowski about it on the podcast over the summer and she gave kind of a detailed experience of what happened. And the New York times, I don't know if you saw, they had done a, a special video where they had broken the whole thing down from every group and every entrance and every, I mean, it was, it was, not some kind of random event. You know, it was, it was a lot more than that.
1: You know, honestly, I don't know enough about it to, um, to really engage. Uh, obviously, as somebody, um, uh, when I do occasionally go to DC, I still have to go to DC uh, for regulators now. And uh, I walk them mall every time I go. Mm-hmm. And I look at the beauty of uh, the Capitol and, uh, uh, you know, the Washington, the Lincoln, Jefferson, the White House. And I think, man, what a, what an awesome country that we get to live. How special is this? How lucky are we? And so I'm still smitten by the place uh, even after all these years. So from that perspective, and, and I've I've roamed around the Capitol uh, back when you used to be able to do that. Uh, I've climbed outside uh, with, uh, with groups on the Rotunda when you were allowed to do that. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame. And it's a shame to see anyone damaging that property. A um, lot of, you know, but I think what it all comes back to is there's untapped anger on both sides in this country that we really do need to get to the bottom of.
0: That's absolutely right. And, and I, I think it's unfortunately difficult for a lot of people to even have the conversation. You know, it's, it's so, it's so I don't know what the answer is, but it's when I was watching that, um, I just felt like I was watching something in some banana Republic or in some kind of third rate you know, where it's very unstable and, you know, cause it's our seat of government and it was right. just watching. It was like, we're all watched it kind of live happen.
1: Yeah, and, it, and it's hard for me to imagine, uh, you know, the Capitol Hill police force is one of the largest, if they were a city, they're one of the largest police forces in the country. So yeah. what what went wrong? How it all happened? I don't know, but it was terrible. And, you know, I had friends from all over the world calling me going, hey, we expect this stuff in our country, but like, what what in the world? That's <laughs> what I, mean, that's what I was on? saying. I mean, they were in the
0: 90s, you know, in uh, um, 91, this there, happened in Russia. I mean, there was a whole coup attempt and they... If you remember it's
1: Boris Yeltsin on the tank, yeah, yeah and then they had yeah.
0: this. Uh, Gennady Yanayev took over. They 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 took something. They took Yeltsin to the Dutch. I mean, they it was a full on type coup, you know, attempt, right. and it almost went down, right? And you know, you expect that, and the Soviet Union collapsed, and it's very unstable, and there is all these problems. But um, there was footage of Moscow, and you know, they they put the tanks in the streets and like crazy.
1: I think this all goes back to uh, you have to give people hope, and I think we need to come together and figure out. Um, Instead of this divisiveness, what unites us? What brings us all together as Americans? What, what, what things can we all get behind? And yeah, we should celebrate our differences, but not forget that we're, we're one country, we're Americans.
0: Well, you mentioned the rural-urban divide. I, th- I think um, so much of the problems in this country, um, and not to sound like a, like a Karl Marx here, but, but class, class problems where you have a lot of people who just, the, the wages have been flat over the last 40 years. The cost of healthcare and education and vehicles is going up. And there's just a lot of people who work full time jobs and they can't get they can't get ahead. And and this is, I think, a big, big, biggest problem we're facing mm-hmm. as a country is people being able to just provide for themselves and for their families and to enjoy their life.
1: So, so would you bring this back on? It's opportunity. Absolutely. People who yes. don't see where well, you don't have opportunity and hope, then. That's
0: exactly right. And I mean, that's. Uh,
1: well, um, we're still hiring to Dalliesco. Oh, really? Sure. You guys just
0: hired uh, Suzanne Cunningham. They're my, we did. my buddy. She's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. guys, um, I heard you guys had a ton of applicants
1: for that position. We did, uh, and that's a government relations uh, position, which is but really important.
0: Those don't come up very often in this state, so they're, they're those positions. So,
1: Well, you know, if, if you think about it, we are probably the most highly regulated pipeline in the world. And um, that part of our our business is really important. I mean, it's all important, right? Uh, I went up uh, Thursday afternoon, last Thursday, Thanksgiving, went up uh, to the North slope in the afternoon and had dinner with the crew up at pump station one. Oh and, no, uh, really?
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Because they're Sur- working.
0: Surprise or was it, did they know about it?
1: Uh, they, 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 they knew I was coming they're like, Oh, why is the president kind of just said, Hey man, I just want to come up and say thanks. Turkey so I did. Yeah. had Turkey, all the trimmings, um, uh, everything, uh, Uh, Was there? It was from the cafeteria, but it was pretty good. In
0: 2018, I worked for a company called GBR. They did run casing, and I'd gone up there a couple times. I was out of Anchorage. Oh, sure. But I went up there to work a few times and kind of experienced it. And, um, man, the food, I mean, it's easy to gain weight up there. The food is so
1: good. There's a lot of food. In fact, a lot of the folks that work these, uh, you know, a lot of our employees that are out in the remote areas, uh, they work two weeks on, two weeks off. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, pump stations, uh, basically one through seven, and, and not all of them are manned any longer, but, uh, you know, they're isolated. So, um, you know, they live in a dorm room, basically. They get food that is prepared for them, and uh, it's tough. It's stressful. So we try to make it as easy as we can on our folks.
0: How many people work at Alieska?
1: We have, uh, depends on the day, we have um, right around 700 full-time employees. That's oh, not that many. And then up to uh, up to thirteen to fifteen hundred contractors, depending on whether we're in the summer season or whether in winter. Right now, will be less. I
0: imagine these are all probably very good paying jobs,
1: right? Uh, they are. In fact, uh, you know, I think that's another fallacy. Not everybody needs a college degree. You can make six figures uh, very easily. Well, especially now when
0: people get these degrees with all the burdened with hundred fifty or hundred thousand dollars of debt, and the degree doesn't even mean anything.
1: Yeah, I was talking to one company up here. Um, that uh, that does shipping. I mean, like we have across the country, we have a thousand openings right now. We just can't find these people. We take them, and uh, you don't need you don't need a college degree for that either. So
0: the other thing about Alaska, which I was kind of surprised to learn, um, there was BP before, and now it's like it's Hillcorp and Conoco and Exxon. Right. But there's also like Chevron, and there's a few other small minority owners. Right.
1: Uh, they're not owners any longer. There used to be when when we started up, uh, we had eight owners. I have that correctly. And, uh, Humble Oil, uh, Mobile, Exxon, a lot of companies.
0: Uh, Wasn't Chevron involved? Come,
1: Chevron it? was involved. Uh, Chevron exited. Uh, Unical exited. Unical uh, is another one. Yeah. Yeah, they just exited uh, a year or two ago. But they had like one one point six percent or something. But the uh, the major three had been BP, Conoco, and Exxon Mobil. And then when BP left the state, they sold their upstream assets, their North Slope assets, to Hillcorp. And then their midstream assets went to Harvest Midstream, which is affiliated mm-hmm. with with with, Harv- with Hillcorp.
0: So this might be a, a dumb question, but Alaska is a it's a private company, right? But it's is it I mean, is it meant to make a profit or is it meant to just uh, is it more like a nonprofit where you operate the pipeline? What's what's kind of the, the role there, the mission?
1: Yeah, so we are we are a private uh, Alaska corporation that is owned by those three companies, and uh, so we're the operator of the Trans Alaska Pipeline System on their behalf. And uh, so, really, we are—we're—we're we're not making money. We're a cost center, um, and uh, but we don't deal with any of that. The tariffs, the uh, the amount that uh, you charge to push barrels through—that's all handled by the owners. We simply operate and maintain the pipeline.
0: Now, this is always a big. My understanding is it's always a fight about the tariff, right? What what the cost is, and how that that has an impact on the final number, right? On on, on what what the price what the selling, selling point is.
1: Yeah. So the, the, again, the good news is we don't deal with any of that. The owners uh, maintain all their own tariffs. Uh, we're simply just operating the pipeline. And uh, you know, it is true though, that the the lower that uh, the tariff goes, the lower the production costs upstream go, the more economically competitive Alaskan oil is on the world market. So uh, from that perspective, we're all trying to do our part to make sure that, I mean, Alieska, we're, we're, our shtick is real simple. We're safe, reliable, and we're economically competitive, that's what we do. And uh, beyond that, uh, you know, we don't, uh, we're in a good spot, we don't have to get into any of the other stuff. Stay away from
0: the the, the family, family feuds.
1: No, I think they all get along pretty well.
0: It's interesting how like they're all really competitors, but at the same time, whether it's the pipeline or whether it's working together on certain oil fields or projects or access, I mean, they, they're competitors, but they also have to work together. It's kind of interesting interesting um, dynamic.
1: Yeah, so Aliasca is a joint venture, but... Um, I meant the produ- the producers. Yeah, the producers. Uh, well, and, um, you know, there, there are a lot of... Uh, now you're getting out of my area. There are a lot of antitrust laws and regulations and other things they all have to abide by. So, mm. yeah.
0: So, um, other thing is, like, safety. I mean, the only thing I've ever heard about, I guess, since living here is some idiot shot the pipeline once many years ago, and that was a big thing. But, um, I mean, the pipeline in all these years have, has had a pretty... Pretty good safety record. I mean, right, there's been very few that I can think of. The, the one that you know, the dummy that shot it, which is great. They caught him, didn't they? Didn't he get in They
1: they did catch him. And uh, yeah, there have been a few different uh, different things that have happened, uh, all man-made, before I got here. Well, before I got here, but uh, you know, the uh, we take we take the safety and security of the pipeline very seriously, and um, we do a lot of things to make sure it is uh, it is safe uh, from. From the environment, from accidents, from incidents, and from intentional acts too.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, last thing I want to ask you is I want to talk about this. You have all this background in transportation, this this um, sh- shipping uh, problem going on. Um, what are they calling it? The uh, the the national. Oh my God! There's a term for it. Um, the goods aren't being able to, the ships and all these problems. Yeah. The sh- the supply chain. The, the supply chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, What? so I've heard one, one thing I heard, and I don't know if this is accurate, but something like California has so many regulations on the trucks. It's, it's harder and harder for the trucks to get in there to get the stuff. They're saying Florida is, is better for the, the cargo ships. I mean, is that, is it drivers? Is it people? Is it regulation? Is it just, just a, there's an abundance of goods I mean, what's going on with this issue? And is it going to be, you know, solved anytime soon?
1: Yeah. Uh, all that is true yes how's that for an answer That's a great answer that's a great answer you're right spot on no uh, in all seriousness though that is that is the right answer the port of la long beach has been congested and constrained for uh, probably 40 years meaning there's not a lot of space there you've got to unload the ship you've got to move a lot of containers and get them out of there so the next ship can come in and anytime that backs up everything comes to a stop i've seen
0: these pictures of these cargo ships on the on on the on you know in the bay like just Lined up. Big, big, huge ships.
1: Yeah, lined up. And they keep getting bigger and bigger. And uh, so, you know, the port is in a place where it's difficult to expand. Uh, the laws and regulations are tough uh, with the drivers. The the truckers are facing uh, substantial trucking trucker shortages. There's a huge shortage of uh, qualified drivers to drive. In fact, the government's even looking at lowering the age to be a commercial truck Eight, driver. 18, I think, right? 18. If yeah, you're in the military, that. yeah, it can be 18. And now they're starting it with everybody. Uh, it, it, it's a difficult spot, but we're not helping ourselves. LA Long Beach is, um, the primary spot because, uh, both that and San Francisco, easy to get to from Asia. If you have to go to Florida, you either have to go through the canal and most of the ships these days are too big to get through the panel. How about that one that
0: that got messed up there, you know?
1: Oh, in the Suez? Yeah. Yeah. Different canal, but still, Different canal, but, uh, yeah, I've been through there too. It's, uh, it's pretty tight and, uh, you, you can, uh. You see
0: those like time-lapse videos, how they... Raise the water, lower the, you know, it's like, it's it's nuts.
1: Yeah, it it is. And so it's a combination of a bunch of factors. What we really need are significant port upgrades. Uh, One of the big proposals is to find a place on the West Coast, whether it's in, you know, California or perhaps Mexico, where you build a brand new state-of-the-art port and attach a rail line to it. So as soon as a ship comes in, the crane actually just takes that container and plops it right onto a.
0: On a small level, we have that here in Alaska. I mean, you have the port, and then there's the train right. that goes there, and it goes out to Whittier, inland, yeah. Yeah, so that's a that's a very small scale example of that.
1: Yeah, and the port of Houston is doing that, where they uh, they put everything on uh, on rail and immediately truck it almost all the way up to uh, DFW and uh, to Dallas, sorry, mm-hmm. to the Dallas area, which is uh, you know about a four hour drive, and then you're getting it out of that area out to a distribution center. Makes a lot of sense, but uh, you know we uh, we buy a lot of stuff.
0: We do. I mean, it's, I think the big one now is, I mean, it's, it's luckily I'm not too, I don't have a big fan of family or anything, but this Christmas stuff, everybody's freaking out about, you know, buying stuff for Christmas and is it going to get here? And that's like the big, I think, concern for a lot of folks.
1: Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I've kind of given up on all that. Uh, I love Christmas, love the Christmas spirit. I've never uh, been somebody, yeah. I have
0: people, they, it's like their whole, the presents and the ship. I mean, it's like they, they, it's like this big stressful time where they have to buy all this stuff. I just don't really worry about it. I yeah. mean, I give people a call and love you. It's you know, <laughs> useless presents that people it, buy.
1: It's it's uh, it's a great time to think of people, think of your relatives and friends, and uh, it's really a blessing, you know. So I think that's uh, the takeaway for me for the Thanksgiving through the Christmas holidays is, uh, um, you know, we're, we're church folk too, so we, we tend to emphasize that part of Christmas. Is it
0: family, kids, or?
1: We do have three boys, um, two of the three are grown, one still at home.
0: So you had to, for Thanksgiving, what'd you say? I got to go, I got to go to the, the pipeline
1: for a minute. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, actually one of our kids was out of state. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we had, uh, Thanksgiving day lunch and then, uh, flew up there that evening. And, um, and again, it wasn't to make a splash. It was just to say, thanks. Thanks for working. Because our that's, folks. That's great.
0: That's a good, that's a great thing to do.
1: Well, our folks are out there 24, seven, 365, whether it's 40 below, 20 below sleet, rain, Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, they work. They'll be working through uh, Christmas. They'll be working through New Year's. They didn't stop working during COVID either. You can't. We, we got to be out. We have yeah. to be out there.
0: So so that um, we have already going almost an hour and a half, which somebody like you, I could probably do what? three hours. Yeah, hour 20. Um, but, but when you took over in January 2020, that was your first time living in Alaska. Is that right? You moved to Alaska or were you here before that?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, other than coming up here, both with my dad and uh, in the 1970s and then, coming back here since, uh, in the summertime to go fishing and hiking and bringing my family up here.
0: What did the wife and kids say about the Alaska? Oh, they loved Alaska it. Uh, no, idea.
1: my, uh, my wife's from a uh, cold part of the U S and she liked it. And, uh, the kids love winter sports and, uh, really outdoorsy folks, uh, uh, love fishing too. And, um, uh, uh, we, we fish, we fish for years down the Kenai, upper Kenai. So. Yeah.
0: Did you, did you kind of, know the area or did you come up first and like, where do you want to like, do you, what do you want to live like, like south side or down, like downtown? How'd you kind of pick out where you're going to live?
1: Well, for us, we had to look at schools and proximity to work. And I know that um, love up in the Valley, but I know that can be a bear commute sometimes. It's a bit of a commute. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't,
0: people do it, but not me.
1: Yeah. Hillside's wonderful, but uh, you gotta be careful. There's a little extra winter for you. So we, we knew all these things mm-hmm. at of time and uh, yeah. And then you know, the hard part was during COVID there just wasn't that much available.
0: You know, the craziest thing, and I'm still trying to under... I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. How is the price... Like, there's inflation, obviously, is an issue, a big issue. But even before that, um, the price of house house housing in this country last year started to skyrocket. And it was it was during the peak yeah. of this COVID and, and this jobs and people not working. And even my little condo I bought in 2012, I mean, it went up 20% or almost
1: 15%. Isn't that awesome? Yeah.
0: And it's like, I'm trying to figure this out, how all these prices of all these... Home. I mean, I think part of it's building materials went up a lot, and maybe that was an issue of, of you know new new construction. But um, yeah, some of these houses just got really crazy expensive.
1: Yeah, they did, and I think you know housing up here is um, more expensive in a lot of places in the lower forty eight just because of the the cost of shipping everything up here. Oh, absolutely.
0: Right? I mean, it, I, I tell people friends who live in other states, you know, my, my condo I paid the it's worth about two hundred twenty thousand. I got a good deal on it. It was a foreclosure. It was like one fifty, but. I mean, you can buy some parts of the country, you can buy like a big like house for that much. Yeah,
1: yeah it's true. And uh, I think, you know, the low interest rates also have something to do with it because the interest is so low. It uh, If interest rates were, uh, you know, as a kid, and this is before your time, my dad told me, hey, if you get an interest rate below seven and three quarters, you better lock well, that so in that, for 30. 70s and 80s, rate. they had like yeah.
0: 20% mortgage rate rates.
1: Exactly. So I think that would change the dynamic a lot. And I am concerned about inflation. There's a lot of inflationary pressure on the country. And the more money we're spending or the more money, um, you, know, you got your fiscal policy of spending money and you got your monetary policies, uh, we're printing money left and right. It's an I think, it's, it's I think an
0: something issue. like 30% of the currency in existence right now has is, is been created in the last year. I mean, it's, it's a really high yeah. amount of, and I actually was, when the CARES Act thing first started, I, I kind of started, ask, I actually asked Lisa Murkowski at a, at a presser back in 20, April or May of 20, whenever the CARES Act, I said, and Dan Sullivan was on the call too, it was a press call, and I said, are you worried about inflation? And and she said, yeah, I think inflation's a, a cause for concern. And now we see, the price of cars are going up exponentially. Uh, a car that was twenty thousand dollars a year ago, the same car is now twenty five thousand. Yep. The the, uh, the the inflation rate is the highest it's been in like four de- almost four decades.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's something we're watching clearly. And um...
0: good for you guys, though. I mean. <laughs> Price of oil always gonna it's always gonna be worth whatever it's worth.
1: Well, but yeah, see that's uh, that's that doesn't help us any though. Uh, I'm just a transportation guy. I'm not really the oil guy. That's yeah, I guess that's you're not, the, you're not selling it right. You're I'm not selling. I'm uh, literally the uh, um, Aliesca is uh, you know and taps is really just uh, it's a common carrier just like FedEx or UPS.
0: I guess what you guys got to worry about is the contracts because if the costs go up. Mm-hmm. And you have these contracts and the inflation hits. I mean, I don't, maybe inflation stuff's built in CPI um, adjustments, but yeah, that could be a
1: problem. Well, it's something we're watching very closely and something we're concerned about as well. So how are you going to do all this hour and a half? You're going to flip this into. No, I just
0: post it. No, people listen. I mean, people like you, very interesting. I mean, you got the Trump transition, you got the Aliasca, you got the Navy, the DOT, that's, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's a perspective. my career has been based on I do things I want to do that's fun that I think will help broaden my career and broaden my exposure. And
0: um, that's probably a good advice. Do what's you, you enjoy.
1: Yeah, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, uh, you shouldn't be doing it, or at least figure out a plan to go do mm-hmm. something else. And uh, but uh, but yeah. So I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, this bring been you. fun. I'm this glad.
0: Fantastic. I'm glad you came out. We'll do. We'll do it again sometime. I mean, there's a lot sure. to talk about. I think Elias is always. You know, there's always things going on. So it was uh, great talking to you. Great conversation. And uh, thank you. Well, well, what part of town did you end up kind of settling in? Let me let me guess. You're a, uh, I'm gonna guess like a south, not hillside, but like a like a bayshore. We're uh, guess.
1: S- south near the mud flats. Uh, yeah, well, I wasn't. I wasn't far. I wasn't far off. Yeah, not far off at all. So,
0: well, welcome to you know, it's been here over I like, guess a year and a half now. So, right on. Welcome here, and uh, thanks for doing the podcast. And we'll we'll do it again sometime.
1: That sounds great. Thank all you right, so much,
0: folks. Yep, yeah, Brigham, appreciate you coming on. If, guys, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.